You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Hello and welcome to One Hour at a Time. This is Mark Green. I'm the medical director at Westbridge and I'm sitting in for Mary Woods. This is our weekly recovery-oriented show um, where we have a variety of guests talking about aspects of addiction, recovery, and dual disorders. You can find a link to download these shows at www.westbridge.org. And today, we are lucky enough to have Carol Colloran uh, to talk to us about addiction in the aging population. Carol is an international certified alcohol and drug counselor Executive Vice President of Public Policy and National Affairs at the Hanley Center and a pioneer in the development of age-specific treatments. She's the co-author of Aging and Addiction, Helping Older Adults Overcome Alcohol and Medication Dependence. Her groundbreaking work continues with the development of a new treatment model for aging baby boomers, the new generation of older adults. Carol Colloran is a tireless educator and advocate for older adult recovery and participates in policy development, education, and special studies for several national organizations, including the Center for Substance Abuse, their task force for treatment in aging and substance abuse. She's an in-demand presenter, both nationally and internationally, and is widely published. Carol is the recipient of many awards in the fields of aging and addiction, in 2007, she is honored by the National Association of Alcohol and Drug Abuse Counselors, the Association for Addiction Professionals, with the National William F. Bill Callahan Award. And this year, Carol was named the recipient of the 2008 American Society on Aging, Mental Health, and Aging Network Award. So welcome, Carol. <laughs> I feel privileged to have you on our show. Thank you so much. It's exciting to be here. Well, Carol... Could you tell us a little bit about how you got involved in this part of addiction recovery work? I can. I, I'm just so excited that um, this topic is getting much more attention than it did when I first started kind of stomping my foot and saying we need to take a look at this. I, um, it actually started um, w- w- without the intention of going to it, but back... Um, in 1986, my uh, 24-year-old daughter um, had terminal cancer. She had ovarian cancer. She was 24 years old. And I took care of her through a hospice-at-home program. And before, shortly before she died, she said to me, uh, I'm really concerned about you and what you're going to do. But she said, you have to listen to me. She said, I have had a vision. And she said, there's something you're meant to do. There's a message you're meant to give. And it starts with you going back to school and become an alcohol and drug counselor. Now, I was just a few years sober at the time. And I thought she was crazy. I said, I have no interest in that. But I did follow through with uh, her wish. And I did go back to school, became an alcohol and drug counselor. That was up in Minnesota. And then I came down to uh, West Palm Beach, Florida at the Hanley Center as clinical director. 
And it was while I was clinical director that I started noticing we were not serving our older adult population as well as I thought we might. They, um, uh, for instance, on our men's program, we had a women's program and a men's program. And on the men's program, I found that our, say, 65-year-old men that were coming in um, had a very difficult time going into group therapy with, you know, 23-year-old crack cocaine addicts and trying to bear their soul. Older adults today uh, of today did not grow up in a self-help age, so they're not even familiar with that. So that was the start of it, and the women had their issues as well. And that was when I um, started designing an age-specific program, and then it was like a snowball going downhill. It was fabulous. It just kind of blossomed and grew, and somewhere along the line I got that title of expert on the subject. And um, I don't know what that beep is. I guess I could have done something about that, but... At any rate, that's how it came about, and it's been absolutely phenomenal. We opened the doors to our age-specific program in August of uh, 1998, and we have stayed uh, 100% and more full ever since, and it's absolutely rewarding to watch older adults go through with people who have the same life experiences as they do. Absolutely, and there's still a very limited number of resources for elderly populations. Right, growing absolutely. and growing an awareness, but you've really been on the forefront, and I think your daughter would be very proud. Yes, yes, indeed, and I, I certainly have felt her with me in it all. But it's it's been a you know I've learned as we've moved along the program, we have learned and grown as the program grew, and um, that's why now today then we're, I'm starting to take a look the same way at the boomer population, but. Today's older adults. Back to that, Carol, but how big how big of a problem is the issue of addictions and drug and alcohol misuse in the elderly population? Okay, well, SAMHSA put out a study a while back reporting that uh, there are eight, approximately eight million older adults in our country with alcohol or drug problems, and that's seventeen percent of the older adult population. And how that figures along with or compares with your um, other adult population or your regular population, usually 10% they figure uh, have a problem with alcohol and drugs. So it's a much higher percentage than it is in any of the other uh, populations. But it's also the most difficult population to recognize and get them into treatment and get help for them and the families as well. Because in the old, in the epidemiological surveys of the last few decades, there's been this suggestion that people have either burned out of their addictions mm-hmm. or that there's been some natural recovery process. And this exactly. seems to suggest that there's a, a new wave of um, addictions being noticed or prevalent or returning um, in the elderly population. Well, I think... I think what has happened is that uh, myself and, uh, and, and quite a few other people in this country that have been out there bringing this to the forefront have opened the doors a little more to taking that stigma away a little bit so that, you know, people say, well, we're finding a lot more older adults now that have alcohol and drug problems. I don't know if we have more or if we're identifying more and more are stepping forward. Right. I think there is the habit in the um, in the past, perhaps, of not seeing these issues as being so serious in the elderly. Oh. That it, 
Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, with professionals and with families and, um, and and the older adults themselves because so many people, I can't tell you how many times I've heard uh, some of those old maxims of, a, you know, leave them alone, um, let them enjoy their last few pleasures in life, and, and if they're steeped right. in their uh, addiction, they are not enjoying uh, a pleasurable life. Um, and, and I think professionally, well, there are a lot of things there. It's, uh, professionally, there are barriers. Ageism certainly has been one of them. But lack of awareness. I served, um, I was privileged to serve on the advisory board of a study out of Columbia University in New York, uh, out of CAS, out of the Center for Alcohol and Substance Abuse. And uh, they did a study on older women and addiction. And, and one thing that they did in that study is they interviewed uh, personally 400 physicians and they presented a hypothetical case of a woman in her 60s with the symptoms of, of an alcohol problem and less than 1% even mentioned it as a possible diagnosis. They said, give us your five top diagnoses that you think might be wrong with this woman and the top diagnoses that they gave was uh, depression, you know, and that's not all bad because there's a lot of depression, but there's a lot of alcohol-induced depression as well. Absolutely, and of course, as the population ages and there's more advocacy for quality of life during those older, um, more advanced years, the issue of the negative impacts of drug and alcohol use become much more urgent to address. Well, they do, and you know the um, you know the symptoms and all are a little bit different, and you need to look differently uh, at the older adults because most of their um, consequences um, center around relationships, damaged relationships with their families and increased medical issues that result from it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and there's a fair amount of um, late onset alcoholism uh, happening as well. What do you put that down to? Well, I think... Um, I've, I've spent years now speaking with our late onset older adults that come in, and the most common thread that I hear is, I lost my sense of purpose. I did not feel needed anymore. And I think that we need to listen to that because, um, for instance, you take um, um, an adult, an older adult that has been very active, has uh, contributed to society a great deal, maybe they're a professional or they own a a business, whatever, they retire and want to want to uh, live the American dream and go to Florida or California or whatever and retire and play golf. And then they get to Florida or wherever and they play golf and they do things. And now that brings up another thing because your retirement communities, I am finding, are hotbeds of alcohol and drug problems. But um, they do that and after a while, it's not quite as fulfilling as they believed it was going to be, and nobody is asking them questions anymore. Nobody is asking for their input. And that's what they tell me leads them to starting to drink more and maybe go get anti-anxiety drugs and, and the whole works. Yes, so it's a combination of loss of purpose. And you're right, when you're diagnosing um, addictions in um, the working age group, you're talking about their loss of relationships, a loss of value-filled activities and purposeful activities in their life where responsibilities are being shedded. And as people 
have less responsibilities in older years, it would become diff- more difficult to tease those out. Right, and you know, you need to look differently as well. Um, for instance, when we see an older adult or someone out there and in the general public, when you see an older adult with a bit of shaky hands, I do not believe that our first thought might be maybe they have a problem with alcohol and drug. I think we think, oh, they're getting early Parkinson's or something. And the same with um, loss of memory and that type of thing. And we just need to, you know, they think, oh, early's Alzheimer's or something. And a lot of times um, they're getting um, misdiagnosed. Um, oftentimes symptoms are attributed to another disease, like I say, to, to depression or hypertension, chronic fatigue. Peripheral neuropathy, um, they don't think of that as a symptom, and yet it is. Yeah. When I'm teaching doctors and medical students, I tell them to really push the envelope and say, well, hold on, is this alcohol? But people are more loathe to with the elderly person in front of them. Carol, are you hearing that music? We'll be back in a moment. I'm hearing a lot of music. I can't hear you. Yeah, the music tells us that we're taking a break. And we'll hear now that we're going to take a break for a minute and then come back after to resume the show in a moment. Yeah. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family center recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. If you're looking for a better way to clean the air in your home or office, you need the all-new ozone light. It's as simple as changing your light bulbs. The ozone light looks like a normal spiral type of light bulb. It screws in most standard light sockets, but it's not a normal light bulb. It's coated with titanium dioxide. It's completely safe, but this unique coating kills most airborne bacteria, mold spores, and neutralizes odors. Just one light cleans the air in an entire room and lasts eight times longer than the normal light bulb. If you have smokers, if you have allergies, if you have pet odors, mold, or mildew, you need the ozone light. It will wipe them out, and you have our word. If you're not satisfied with the way the ozone light cleans the air in your home, simply return it for a full refund. Here's the number to call to order. 800-380-4259. 800-380-4259. Save up to $100 now. 800-380-4259. 800-380-4259. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to the show. This is Mark Green. I'm the medical director of Westbridge. 
while you have your pens out taking that phone number down for phone calls, I'm going to ask Carol to give you one more phone number um, for further information specifically to her program. Carol, do you have that number handy? I do, and it's 1-800-444-7008. That's 1-800. And that's the number for the Hanley Center. Okay. And specific questions on... um, Well, you know what? Let me, if they have specific questions on the whole issue of older adults and that, let me give you my cell phone. I really don't mind putting that out. And that is area code 561-596-7418. I'd be happy to talk with anyone or any family member or whatever. Very generous of you. Um, Okay, Carol, let's return to the issue of um, that we're talking about. Um, are there particular drugs or alcohol that you all see in the older population? You know, we're used to, in standard practice, we're used to a lot of cocaine and amphetamines and, and opiates. And well, What are you seeing in the older population? Okay, well, alcohol itself is still the uh, number one drug of choice on, on older adults. Most of them coming in are on alcohol. Very few anymore, though, are coming in on alcohol alone. Uh, we, have, we have, of course, a high percentage coming in on the benzodiazepines, your Valium and Xanax, your anti-anxiety drugs. That's probably, in my opinion, one of the most misunderstood drugs in our country. Um, interestingly, uh, the prescription writing for benzodiazepines has gone down in all age groups except in older adults. And, um, and I find that interesting, and I think that there's a bit of ageism going there. I think you're probably right, and that's yeah. especially odd given that the side effects of the benzodiazepines can be... Well, and that's, that's the thing, I, and that's the other piece that um, you have to be extremely careful when you are looking for a place for an older adult uh, to go to treatment. You want to be sure that uh, that facility... Uh, is very well aware of the difference in uh, detoxing and a withdrawal regimen for older adults on, on um, anti-anxiety drugs like Valium or Xanax as opposed to younger people because, uh, as you know, uh, the benzodiazepines have the longest half-life of just about any drug. And generally when people were coming in, younger people, they, they had been on it maybe two, three years. Older adults are coming in consistently, uh, having been and are on Valium and Xanax for 20 and 25 years. So you can't do just that standard withdrawal regimen uh, or they'll be climbing the walls, you know. Yeah. And nor can you load people with the same kind of long-acting drugs. Absolutely. Accumulation and a lot of dangerous effects from that side. Too. Absolutely. Um, in terms of the alcohol withdrawal, we used to, like everyone else, we used to use uh, Librium for alcohol withdrawal. And it yeah. did not and does not work well with older adults simply because it just zonks them out uh, exactly. too much. So we, had, we switched to Ativan and others, yeah. So you're seeing a lot of alcohol. We're seeing a lot of alcohol. We're seeing a lot of benzodiazepines. We're seeing a lot of uh, the uh, opiates. We're a lot of uh, pain medication. Uh, That's a big issue with older adults, and a lot of their pain is legitimate, you know. 
so getting them uh, to work with, and we are such a pill-oriented society. You know, it's if if something hurts or if something is wrong, you take a pill and it's going to be better. Right. So psychologically, of course, we have to work uh, behaviorally, work with other things, um, and and we use massage, we use. Um, um, acupuncture, we use lots of different relaxation, lots of different things, yoga, all kinds of things. Um, but we also try to use uh, medications that are are not addicting as well. And it's, and it's going well. Uh, we've had a couple of older adults that had really severe um, pain level that were legitimate and are now enjoying um, uh, several years of recovery, and um, they are uh, drug-free in terms of um, addictive drugs and, and such. It's a, it's a very interesting topic within the uh, methadone maintenance and um, suboxone um, treatment facilities, too, because people have been in opiate replacement therapies for decades now. Mm-hmm. You know, the first programs opened in the mid-60s, and some of the um, people have remained in treatment and are well in, um, advancing in years. And the, um, so the population is aging. There's an awful lot of arthritis and um, surgeries and other pain episodes coming in, and there's a lot of confusion about what constitutes legitimate pain, what constitutes um, feigned pain. And, exactly. And, use of, and there's a lot of umbrage about taking psychological approaches People think that they're somehow not as good or that you're denying the pain, and people get rightly very defensive when it's something right. and, and, and they're going to experience. Yeah, there's, there is a certain percentage of patients that come in that have been on pain medications for a long time that once we get the same with the um, depression, there are a lot of patients that come in. You know, 60% of our older adult population recently came in uh, on psychotropic meds. Now, some of them, uh, it was it was accurate, but some of them it was alcohol induced, and um, or they were not truly clinically depressed, but alcohol induced. You know, right? And um, that's an important. Uh, it, it's an extremely important part of working with older adults in treatment, so that your medical staff fully understand how to um, work with that. Right, so the issues of dual disorders, which can be so complicated, oh, yeah. become more complex as you get older when they get overlapping social and medical and pain and medication. And Absolutely. Issues. Right. And then you take into consideration that, um, you know, as we age, we're, we, we sometimes don't, uh, manage our meds as well as as we could. Uh, we get confused, and uh, there's that whole piece that comes in too. And then there is, you know, the natural uh, aging process that takes place um, in our bodies, and and how as we age, our body water content goes down, our our body fat content goes up. So if alcohol is our problem, you will hear older adults and their families say well, he or she doesn't drink as much as she used to. And I try to explain very clearly to them how uh, as you age and your body water content decreases, uh, you can't metabolize alcohol through the system. Alcohol is a water-soluble product, you know. 
And the same with drugs that are distributed through fat, what happens with that as well. So you mix all of that in to someone maybe not reading their medication bottles clearly or remembering quite clearly whether or not they took them. Carol, I don't know if I'm, I'm sure you've seen many cases of these, but I've seen um, many people who may have had, a, had difficulties or addictions with opiates in their past and then done very well for many years and then gone in for surgery and the physician right. probably hasn't said, hasn't asked, hasn't taken a full addictions history and says, here, take some oxycodones or some Vicodins or whatever it might be and, and rekindled a, um, addictive process. Have you seen much? Of Absolutely. That? In fact, I'm just now um, working with um, another uh, person that we're co-authoring. We're producing, uh, Hanley Center is co-producing with um, a re- what's a recovery church up in Minnesota, but we're co-producing a little booklet that we're going to give out free, and that's exactly what it addresses is uh, managing post-surgical pain because this very good friend of mine, and I've had two open-heart surgeries and two serious back surgeries during my recovery, I've been in recovery 26 years, but um, and and of course I had to take strong pain medication. Yeah. But what we try uh, to work with, and the point we'll want to get across, is how they have to work closely with their doctor. Now, very often, I'm sorry, but very often they have a doctor that doesn't really understand all that. And so they really, you know, I really recommend that you you have somebody in your life that is uh, professional, that is aware and understands it. And it's, you know, very often they're going to uh, be back addicted to if they're on it for a long time. And then the withdrawal is is important that they have a managed um, withdrawal for it and understand that it's okay. You know, that's right. That's right. So you're, are you, you're probably seeing less of the stimulants, cocaine, methamphetamine. Well, we're starting to see an increase in that. We're we're seeing an increase in heroin. We're seeing an increase in cocaine and a major increase in uh, marijuana. And is this? And that's the younger, older adults coming in. So, and this is continued use. Um, throughout their life or well, a restart once they're... Some of them, yeah. I mean, I had a typical... We had a typical Woodstock uh, patient in a while back that had never really quit, just somehow managed to stay functional somewhat. But um, a lot of what we're seeing are, or we're beginning to see, are uh, the, the leading edge of the baby boomers who are looking at retirement, getting into retirement, and they're kind of reverting back to what their drugs of choice were um, back when they were in college age, you know, of college age. And uh, I I anticipate we're going to see more of that. This comes back again to the issue that we were discussing earlier about how central valued goals and a sense of purpose is in someone's recovery and um, in your own recovery. Um, and in keeping people away from um, dangerous habits and loss of control. Um, and there's, there can be such a um, loss of that as people go into retirement, and then there are presumably a lot of other stressors that people uh, that have occur throughout one's lifespan, but with particular intensity, I think, as you get older, those of grief, 
pain. Oh, yeah, all of that, all of the above. You know, they, they not only seem to lose their, you know, maybe or are subject to losing their sense of purpose. Now, that might be because of retirement. It might be also then losing a spouse factors in, so you have grief issues. Uh, so, Carol, let's come back to this issue of um, special issues that you can sometimes see okay. in the psychosocial life of people in the older population. All right. That sounds good. And from our break. Thank you. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family center recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Voice America Network proudly presents The Catherine Zox Show. For women, men, children, and families, Catherine magically combines her compassion, experience, and talent to bring listeners a show that's upbeat, informative, and yes, a little sassy. Tune in every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern, to The Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America Women's Channel. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back. We are speaking with Carol Colleran, who's from Hanley, the Hanley Center and is a national expert in aging and addiction. For downloads of this show and others and extra information, um, you can go to www.westbridge.org and you can email me and I can get questions to Carol at mgreen at westbridge.org. Carol, we were just touching on some of the special issues that arise in the treatment of people, um, older people with addictions. Um, right. Perhaps I could, you could continue on that. Okay. Um, something I did want to mention, too, is that when an older adult comes into treatment, um, actually, let me back up a shade, because I, I understand and I realize they're harder to identify, they're harder to get into treatment, but it's, it's important to know that studies have been done now to show, and, and it shows, that although they're the most difficult to get into treatment, they have the highest rate of recovery of any age group. So once you get them into treatment, and uh, we're finding here at our Center for Older Adult Recovery at Hanley Center in West Palm Beach that a higher percentage of older adults uh, remain in recovery than um, our other programs even. Oh, well, I have to ask you, why do you think that is? Uh, I think 
again, I always talk about values and belief system, and I think part of the older adults' value system, and that's what I looked at when I started planning or working on this program, part of their, one of their values is that respect for authority. They have a greater respect for authority than younger people do. They just simply do. It's not bad or good, but they just simply do. And so, therefore, they tend to follow directions better if they feel it's a voice of authority. Well, your multidisciplinary treatment team is considered by them uh, to be an authority, and I think they follow not only their treatment um, process, but their aftercare, their continuing care, and that's what makes a big difference. I think they're more likely to follow it. Interesting. I mean, I do think that you can't have any successful treatment if people don't stay in treatment. Absolutely. But the authoritarian issue, I'm not so sure about. If you look at results from China and um, some other authoritarian countries, the relapse rates stay pretty high if you can get the data. Um, But one big thing in retention is the bonding that you have to a therapist or a peer group. Absolutely. I would imagine that if you can find a peer group and um, a, a, a new bonded relationship with someone important in someone's life, especially if it's if the addiction has been kicked up and fueled by groups and losses, then you're probably a long way ahead of the game. And Absolutely. Those are the things that we have to work so uh, closely with with our older adults. When they come into treatment, we're a 12-step based program. And so when they come into treatment, what we found is they did not have a a good taste in their mouth, if you will, about Alcoholics Anonymous. They were not interested in it. They think that's for those other people. And you know what I track all this back to, too, is the number one issue for older adults, I thought was grief. Grief is important, but the biggest issue is shame. They did not grow up in a self-help age. They don't understand about sharing your feelings and all of that. And so getting into, walking into an AA room is a very difficult thing. Therefore, we have, um, it's called Sober Seniors, an AA group that comes in every week. And it started out a small group. It's huge now. And so we work a lot with um, that whole aspect of recovery. And the same with our aftercare support group. People that have been through our program come back and they spend time with our current patients because they can uh, answer questions for them about, you know, the fear they have about leaving and going to their home community. And, and you know, you need to understand, too, that older women of uh, today's older adult population coming into treatment, they come in oftentimes uh, without any self-identity. You know, they even start speaking in the third person, second person. They were somebody's daughter, somebody's wife, somebody's mother. And it's very difficult for them to uh, gain their own identity. These are the kinds of things that will be different when we start working more with your boomers because they'll come with a whole different um, uh, life experience. That's very interesting indeed. This issue of identity um, and how treatment goes along with it. So as you've been talking, you know, we've been stressing the use of personal values in recovery, but if someone has come from a um, from 50 years or 60 years of being someone's mother, and, Absolutely. Um, 
relinquished a career and been so much embedded in a large family structure with a particular role, that must be so um, difficult to reestablish a new identity. It's very difficult, and it's critical that in your program that you spend a good deal of time. We have a women's issues group where we work on that. Now, not to leave the men out, we have a men's issues group, too, because Today's older adult males uh, come in with um, having grown up with the concept, oh, real men don't cry. Um, they leave the emotional part of, of marriage to with the kids and all of that to the wife. Um, you know, they, um, they have a whole different set of um, life experiences and expectations that they bring in with them. And um, a lot of their self-worth is based on on productivity, who they are, what they do, all of that. And uh, so getting them to be able to share and to journal even. You should see older adults, male and female, once they are able to start doing some of these things that we're used to younger people picking up on more uh, more readily. And I think the boomers will again. As well, one of the major evidence practices that programs such as Westbridge try try to use is supported employment and getting people back to valued activity, work, absolutely, work, competitive activity, um, or education, or a uh, volunteer job, but ideally some paid valued work. And I wonder, have you seen any application of this to the older population? not just trying to talk about the process of loss of that productivity and role and identity, but to reestablish important roles and values that perhaps in the last... We've seen uh, a great... eroded in, this, in these days. Yeah, we've seen a great deal of that, and, and it's another critical part. Uh, let me just share a quick story. A woman that we had come in, she lived in a condo over here on the ocean, 75 years old, dying of her disease of alcoholism, um, her family was up north, and she just picked up the phone and ordered her, her booze to be brought in, and what little food she ate, she ordered that by phone, never left her place. And the neighbors approached the family up north, contacted them, and said, you need to get her some help. She came into treatment with her heels dug in. She didn't really want any part of it, but she did. She got with it. She did well. One of the things that we work with is uh, leisure resource inventory. What are some things you used to do that you haven't been doing that you might want to think about doing again? And she came back to aftercare and said, you know what, remember when I identified um, uh, handwriting analysis as something I used to be interested in? So this woman at age 75 went back, took a refresher course in handwriting analysis, and then she called the cruise line and said, how would you like to have a handwriting analyst on your cruise ship? So this woman at age 75 started cruising around the world free of charge in exchange for handwriting analysis. So, you know, the question is, did her quality of life improve? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm sure standing from the edge of a ship yeah. in, in the Caribbean, she'd say yes. Yeah, and um, that's just so typical of what takes place, and they do get back into society, and they do work, and they volunteer, and they do whatever in their quality of... You know, the oldest people that we have had come through our program at two different times, they were women, and they were 94 years old when they came in. 
And I remember the first one, the counselors called me and said, what are we going to do? We've got a 94-year-old woman coming in. And I said, I don't have a clue. I don't know what to do. She came in. She was alert. She said, I just want to be sober before I die. And um, she got with the program. So I, and I stress in my book, you know, they are never, we are never too old to take, to get help and receive help for this disease. And to find value in our lives. I think another, I wonder about another um, strategy that is very much used at Westbridge, um, and that's family therapies. Oh. I know that in traditional um, addictions therapies, there might be family week, and in elderly populations, so much of the family is scattered, uh, and perhaps that's a valuable role which uh, would need to be renegotiated, where older family members can feel of great value to their offspring and um, involved in childcare. Right. Something that they... Well, we have our family program is probably a little different than most. Uh, we do not have our uh, identified person, the patient, and their particular family in family program at the same time. That sounds kind of crazy, but we found out years ago how well it works to have uh, patients in with other families. What we found is sometimes their pain and everything is just too raw. And so if they are in with another family, they can hear that family better, and that family can hear that patient better. Now, when we started the older adult program, I thought, well, we're not going to have much response for the family program. And we have three different programs that feed our family program, our women's program, our men's program, and the older adult. And do you know that the older adult program feeds more family members into the family program than any of the others. Absolutely blew me away. Mm-hmm. So when you are, um, so with this population, you're finding that grief is an issue, but it's shame, which is a very prominent theme. Absolutely. Um, our, today's older adults grew up in a time when um, the alcoholic, they don't even like that word alcoholic, and the alcoholic was the man under the bridge, it was the town drunk. You know, you have to be very careful, for instance, if you're intervening on an older adult, and I really recommend that you be careful. I put a whole chapter on my book on this uh, about not using uh, labels. Don't use the words alcoholic and addict because that just puts the hair on the back of their neck up, you know, and you need to... The younger people, too. I talk about, yeah, absolutely. So I, uh, you know, I suggest that you talk about uh, the problem. But what you do is you need to, they have no concept of um, of their usage causing the con- the things that are happening in their life. So you have to tie that uh, together. And certainly, uh, usually a softer approach works better, uh, what I call love first, if you use that type of an approach with them, that works, seems to work a whole lot better. So we're stressing throughout this the importance of a very thorough assessment and and the application of what we know works in all populations, some motivational interviewing, some some good family work, some variant of supported employment to produce, to get people back involved in value-based activities. That's right. Most of I, I'm finding most of the older adults somehow get back into 
some type of work if it, or volunteer. We need to take a break and we'll speak once more after the break. Thank you. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, families into recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back. Mark Reed from Westbridge. Let's give you two more ways where you can ask further questions. After the show, my email, I'm the medical director at Westbridge, is mgreen at westbridge.org. And Carol, um, would you like to give your contact detail again? Sure. Uh, actually, you can, um, you can email me at ccolloran, so it's c-c-o-l-l-e-r-a-n at Hanley Center, that's H-A-N-L-E-Y, center.org. Thank you so much. Carol, let's turn to some, let's consider the future for the field now. You've mentioned baby boomers several times. Tell me more about your thoughts on that. Well, um, when, I, when I did the older adult program, I started looking at the values and who they were. Now I'm doing that in terms of the baby boomers. Who are the boomers? Well, we know that they are people that were born 1946 through 1964, kindly enough to to make that real simple for us uh, to remember. But there's some interesting statistics, too, with these boomers that are are coming along. Um, They're of of the drug deaths in in the year 2003, there were 28,758 drug deaths. 13,900 of those were boomers. That means 48% of the drug deaths in one given year were boomers. Um, yeah, and they account for more than one-third of all of the uh, suicides in 2003, 11,667. So we need to be aware of that. We need to take a look at what uh, what may change, what do we have to do differently with uh, boomers. Um, I'll just emphasize that one of the chief Figures and um, influences on successful suicide is drug and alcohol use. That's implicit in what you're saying, but I wanted to draw that out. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one of the things that we know about boomers is they like uh, service and convenience like crazy. Um, that's probably one of the reasons we can't build cruise ships fast enough. But um, uh, they, 
you know, and those of us that work in the treatment field are going to have to weigh that very carefully. How do we uh, attract the boomers in and, and plan a treatment program around them? And yet, um, as you know, um, uh, grandiosity and self-importance has always been a big piece of working with uh, alcoholic and addicts. And so how do we uh, do that um, with working with the boomers? Um, they, um, I think you need to, one of the things I have found is that they also keep saying, I, belo- you know, I lost my sense of purpose. Some of the older boomers that come in, and so when we're working with them, we need to start asking questions about searching for their purpose, you know, what gives you a feeling of satisfaction or joy or, or inspires you, and what do you think the meaning and purpose of your life is, and does your life reflect those beliefs? Um, do we need to give them a menu of services and let them pick? How does, how does that work when um, our treatment programs, at least the 12-step-based treatment programs, are about surrendering and turning our life over to the care of God, you know. So we're going to have to mix all of that. Now, the boomers have done some really great things as well. They've they've turned um, uh, uh, middle age to 50 um, as a, or to 30 as opposed to um, 50. And... Uh, so and it's, and a lot of that is just that they think young, and we need to be aware of that. But they do come to us. Their divorce rate is three times higher than their parents, and and so if you get a fifty-year-old in, they could be in their first, second, maybe even their third family. As therapists, we need to be aware of that and factor that in when you're working with someone. Um, Another interesting fact is that there were 19 million prescriptions for erectile dysfunction in 2006, and uh, 6,000 babies were born to people 45 to 54. So um, we are looking at another whole area of of what uh, Viagra and and drugs like Viagra have, have done. Very interesting. Yeah, the whole... So we're really seeing different populations with different expectations and value systems um, which require require different treatment approaches and engagement approaches. They would not perhaps do so well with the authoritarian... Absolutely not. But today's older adults don't either. When I said before they had a respect for authority, but they don't want to be ordered or told, you know, so you have to be careful. Huh? Another thing that we're going to find with our boomers is um, USA Today today put out um, a story uh, talking about chronic pain, and we're going to have uh, a huge increase in chronic pain. They, they really believe that 25% of our future older adults, uh, boomers, are going to have serious arthritic problems because um, they they really feel that their bodies can do everything that they did when they were younger, and that they can still do it just as easily. And and they can't. Um, what other what other things do you see for the future within your field? I mean, you're you're very much on the forefront here. Well, I think boomers, for one thing, are going to come to us um, having had more use of mental health services than today's older adults did. So because they did grow up in a self-help age, um, I think that um, 
they come to us kind of feeling like an unfinished generation, so we need to take a look at that there again with their sense of purpose and whatever, but um, it's going to be quite a ride. When you say an um, unfinished generation, what do you mean by that? Well, what I'm finding with the with the boomers that are coming into treatment, um, we do a group called a trans- life transitions group, mm-hmm. and and what I find is that our life transitions in general start changing around age 50, and the boomers that are coming in are really showing that because those that are around that age are starting to look at. Gee, have I really lived the life I wanted to? Have I done the things I wanted to do? You know, we used to call this, what, midlife crisis or whatever. And uh, But they're searching. They're searching for something. Even though they maybe um, went through college and became took, got a profession and went on and did things, but they seem to um, feel that there is a need to look for something uh, more fulfilling. So, so your programs have really, sounds like, put quite a lot of emphasis on finding meaning and um, yes. bringing yeah. those onto it, bringing those within the group and discussing. One of the things with meaning. boomers, they're going to be, um, uh, which surprised me a little bit, but um, they're more open to spirituality. And um, so that's interesting, and that makes that work with them. Um, a little bit easier, but the other piece, the the medical piece and and the psychological piece and everything else, you know what boomers do, uh, they challenge um, doctors uh, because they'll tend to Google for solutions to things. So when they come to you, they're going to have already Googled whatever it is. And they're going Personally, to. I like that. I, I yeah. Learn a lot from my, I learn a lot from the people who come. To absolutely. My yeah. But, absolutely. Um, it, can, it can definitely cause them um, resistance um, and re- reactions from clinicians who are not used to that and they're used to more compliant, easygoing um, yep. cases, which don't necessarily go so well. In the no. Run. And you know what? This that to me is one of the exciting pieces. Because we're going to have to work with our clinicians, with our, our therapists to help them see this as a positive, not a negative. And it will help you bond with that patient quicker and better uh, than if you kind of go up against a wall with them yeah, on that. The whole field uh, in mental health and dual disorders is catching up with the tradition, which has been more common in addictions, which is of peer-led groups. And there's more involvement of peers within the counseling field right. um, across across the yeah. field now, uh, and I think that that has changed physicians and uh, and professionals' perspectives and respect uh, mm-hmm. for listening to different opinions and and models and perspectives. That's right, and women. Women of the boomer age are going to come to us differently as well. They're going to come. For the most part, they're coming with a higher self-esteem. They're coming with higher education levels. They're coming with stronger peer approval than ever before. So that's a whole different culture that your female culture that you're working with than, for instance, what we work with with today's older women. So, Carol, with you mentioned earlier that people are using a lot of old traditional drugs. Ah. We can hear from the music that it's come to the end of our section. I wanted to ask you many more, um, but 
We have emails for both you at stcolloran at hanleycenter.org and myself at mgreen at westbridge.org. Thanks for joining me on this very interesting show. Good luck Thank with you your so work, much. which is important and very grateful. appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week.